Welcome to People from the Program, a podcast highlighting alumni from the NYU Music Business Program. Welcome, everyone, to People from the Program, the podcast that highlights the career journeys of alumni from the NYU Music Business Program. I'm your host, Bryce Butler, founder and chairman of the NYU Music Business Alumni Network and a proud alum myself of the NYU Music Business Program. On today's show, our guest is Christine Barnum, Chief Revenue Officer at CD Baby. Christine has an extensive background in finance and accounting within the music industry, including e-commerce and fraud prevention, royalty reporting, and auditing, and M&A activity. At CD Baby, she is responsible for business development and partnerships, marketing, product, and trust and safety. Christine, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Bryce. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Christine, I was really keen to have you on because out of all of the guests that I have had, you have, and we'll get into this later, you have a unique work journey because you have a nice uh, long tenure at your company. So I love seeing this. So when I saw that, talk to you, full disclosure, li- listeners, I met Christine at Music Biz Conference. We were, on, we were at a round table. She had great things to say. Once I found out that she was an alum, I'm like, I got to get Christine on the show. So, Christine, I'm glad you're here. Oh, yeah. It was uh, serendipitous sitting next to you at that table. (laughs) Yes, it was. I love that word. That's a good word. Serendipitous. (laughs) Great. Okay. So, let's go ahead and get started. First question I like to ask, tell me about your journey to the NYU Music Business Program. How'd you find it and how'd you get there? Yeah. I mean, it was pretty much a straight arrow for me. You know, I grew up in a small town in Connecticut I really loved music. You know, I had a subscription to Spin and Rolling Stone and would get my hands on any and everything I could. And I was reading a book one day, um, and in it they referenced a tour manager. And I was like, oh, my God, that's a thing. Like, that, (laughs) there's an industry around this. And so I got in the car and went to Barnes and Noble and went to the, uh, the section where they had the big, uh, thick copies of like the Barron's college guides. And I'm dating myself here, uh, and flipped <laughs> no to the, uh, to the index to see if there were any college degrees in music business. And when I looked I think it was like three, it was NYU, it was Berkeley. And I think DePaul, and I was like, eh, hmm. Boston, I don't know that I really want to go to Boston. <laughs> I was like, NYU, I'm like, that sounds cool. Uh, that sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I did an early admissions um, thing where I ended up skipping my senior year of high school, went to NYU instead of my senior year of high school. And uh, the rest, rest kind of was history. It was the only college that I applied to and I happened to get in, so... Wow, your first and only choice. Yeah. That's interesting. So, so wait, back up. So you decided you were going to skip your senior year and go straight to NYU. Yep. How, okay, I have to ask, how'd that go over with like <laughs> the family and the loved ones or any yeah. of that? Because that's very unique that you would say, you know what? I want to skip my senior year, prom, just all that good stuff. And go right to study music business at NYU. Yeah. So, well, what was I, that like? I, I'm the youngest of three, and my oldest sister totally did the same thing. Didn't go to NYU, but uh, she, I got the idea from her. So, you know, I followed her in, in her footsteps in that regard. Um, but, you know, I have two little kids now, and I cannot fathom letting them just move to New York when they were 16. <laughs> so, like, you know, good on my parents, I guess. <laughs> for being brave enough to be like okay go go for it um but you know they they were supportive they're like if you know what you want to do then then go for it they were a little a little skeptical of my my choice in majors they're like that's specific um but here i am i'm actually putting my degree to use much to much to their delight and surprise wow i know talk about it working out for you (laughs) man i I love hearing stuff like that. That's great. And of course, older sibling paved the way for you. So yeah, that was great. You know, Christine, just, I tend to, you know, I tend to stereotype when I hear people skip grades, I automatically think you're dealing with a very bright person because I like to think I was a good student, but I wasn't skipping any grades. (laughs) 
Oh, I will just say it was clever uh, use of taking extra credit classes. You know, I, I took screenwriting to fulfill an English credit so I could double up on English credits and, you know, get me out the door sooner kind of thing. So maybe uh, I'll say I was a little bit more strategic in my planning than <laughs> than intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I get it. fair enough. It was funny. So again, not to we'll we'll move on a little bit, but I do want to ask, what was that process like for you? Just talking to to Dr. Moore at the time and doing the applications, like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna come early. Because to be honest with you, I didn't even realize that the program would allow students to to do that on the on the bachelor's level because you went you went to the bachelor's mm-hmm. program. I did, yeah. Um, so I, once again, dating myself, it was so long ago that uh, it was actually Linda Beasley running the program at the time. Wow. And I remember my mom drove me into the city and I, I met with her. I had to do some sight singing exercises, which were pure torture. Um, I had to do a, an audition because I played the flute and I played some, I don't even remember what it was, some real like out there composer that I I really loved. Um, but I did that and they somehow accepted me. (laughs) (laughs) I love, I love this. Um, wow, this is great. I I also played the, the saxophone in the band, but obviously not good enough to audition to get into college. So (laughs) yeah, that's amazing. Great. Um, that's great stuff. And that only that only enhances just as we get into just your unique story and talking about where you've been and how you've been um, with this tenure at CD Baby. So, no, I love to hear that. Um, OK, so so you get into the program, you know, you're 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 ready to go. What would you say as you're going through the program, what your favorite class was and why? Oh, my favorite class. Um... That is a great question. I, you know, my absolute favorite class, I think, was the one elective that I got to take. Uh, because when I was there, like everything was so prescribed. Like from day one, I knew exactly, like, okay, I'm going to take this class at this point in, in this order. And I, I think I had room for one elective in all my, my four years there. And it had nothing to do with music business, but it was a, it was a drug policy class. And I loved it. It was like one of the few classes that I did exceptionally well in. Um, And it was just, it it was uh, like horrifying to see and learn about all the the ways that the drug policy in America was just like destroying communities and things like that. You know, obviously there's benefits to it. Oh, and my children are busting into my office right now. Uh, (laughs) Sorry about that. Um, But for whatever reason, I think because it was so far outside of my, you know, my general wheelhouse it, it really piqued my interest um i think i only had the stomach for maybe one class of that nature but it was it was probably the most memorable and definitely the most eye-opening oh excellent yes yeah. so funny enough my one of my favorite classes from the program wasn't a music business course it was in stern it was conflict and negotiation oh, that was a nice. great class and also again a little separate from the traditional music business classes that we took, but really helpful. And I really love that class. So I can relate to you um, with the class that's not necessarily aligned with the music business. No, that's great. And, and hearing that it was at Stern too, like, oh, those are some of my worst memories. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, maybe I should backtrack a little bit because conflict and negotiation is a big part of the music business. That's it just true. wasn't a traditional music business class. Yeah. Fair, fair. <laughs> so, oh, okay. God. So then, okay. So you have this kind of, it seems from what you're saying, this struct, you had your structured kind of bachelor's program with mm-hmm. all these classes. Um, you're going through it. And then when you finish, it's like, if you had to pick one main takeaway you got from the program, what would you say it would be? Um, just uh, the how big the music industry is in terms of variety of places in it. You know, it's like I, I could meet six different people that went to the program and we all do something completely different. 
even though it's all in the same industry. It's like there's so many specialties and different aspects of it where it's like, oh, yeah, you can still put that education to use, but totally different thing. Like I, I worked in accounting for a really long time, which, you know, was not my my favorite class by any stretch of the imagination when I was in school. Right. But then once I started working in it, I was like, oh, this is great fun. Um, and it's still music, but then it's, you know, more analytical. Um, and then there's, you know, producers. I'm like, that is a skill that mm. blows my mind. Like, you know, we're all in the same, all in the same giant boat, but totally, totally different skill sets, specialties, ways of thinking. So it's like, sky's the limit in terms of how you want to put, put your brain to use all in music. Yeah, that's a good point. Do you feel, obviously there are some nuances with the grad program and the bachelor's program. Do you feel the bachelor's program is maybe set up just by the nature, you know, when, when students come in, normally the bachelor's degree allows you to take a very wide variety of classes as, as people are figuring out at that stage what they want to do. So would you say the, the music business program on the bachelor's side was set up for you to see just this wide variety of things, that that was kind of the very nature of it? Um, for sure. And I, I mean, I don't know what it's like today. Um, it's been a uh, couple decades and change since, <laughs> <laughs> since I was there. Um, but it was, it was kind of nice that the, the path was defined. I was like, I didn't have to invent the wheel or be like, am I missing something? Should I be taking this instead of that? It was like, okay, it's pretty, pretty well-rounded. See a lot of different aspects of the industry and then, you know, some core business functions as well like that that six credit stats class i took at stern one summer like, Ooh. <laughs> yeah yeah that was that was something <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean absolutely that makes that makes a lot of sense um and also in terms of education really quick i want to ask about something just yeah. doing my own research and you went to the Institute for Mergers, Acquisitions, and Alliances. Yeah, you know? I'm currently can you talk about enrolled. that a little bit? Yeah, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I, I was when I saw that, I'm like, I have to ask her because I don't. I've never heard of. I've never heard of that institute. So, and it sounds so interesting. Can you talk yeah, about that a little bit. Sure. So, like, I am the most restless person. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm not doing something new or learning something new, then I will be bored out of my mind. Um, so in my, my current role, it's like I, I've been exposed to M&A in a few different ways. And it's always whenever I've had the opportunity to be involved, I'm like, this is fascinating. Uh, but it's always been a very hands-on kind of seat of the pants experience, like learning as I, as I live it. And so, you know, one of the benefits of working at CD Babies we offer a tuition reimbursement program. So right. I was like, I might as well take advantage of you know, <laughs> free dollars to learn. So I was like, why, why not add going back to school to my list of things to do? <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just a study. It, uh, it ends with a professional certification for the program that I'm doing is um, it's an international M&A expert. Um, so there's C I think there's CPE requirements that come after it, but you know, in theory, once I'm once I'm done the the program, I will be a certified expert. Uh. I love it. <laughs> I love it because I love highlighting all of the unique things that people are doing with their degree from the program. That I never one of the one of the things that I really love about talking to everybody is it it lets people see the picture that even though the what we're studying and what we're passionate about does have a certain if I can use this make up a word nicheness to it, like, mm -hmm. but it's still very, it, it's applicable in many different things yeah. and it's very broad and um, it's very valuable. So I love talking to people and seeing how they're using that and putting that to good use. So, yeah, that's great. Um, okay. So we're done with the program. You graduate. Yeah. I am curious because you talked about accounting and where you started to where you are now. What was your first internship? My first internship. Uh, oh, so it was supposed to be with um, Polygram Records. I oh, okay. had a, a, a little scholarship from them. And one of the, like the 
things that came with that scholarship was like, you have to do an internship with Polygram. And I was like, okay, cool. That sounds good. Uh, But when it came time for me to intern, they were in the process of being acquired by Universal. And so they um, froze their internship program at that time. And so I never ended up interning with them. And I was like, well, I still want to intern. So I ended up uh, interning with this little management firm called Fun Palace. And they worked with like the estate of Jeff Buckley and some other, other acts. Um, And then they also had a nonprofit called road recovery and road recovery is still around, Mm. you know, they just, yes, I've heard of road recovery. Yeah. And I think both Gene and Jack, um, I met them because they came and spoke at NYU and they both went to NYU. So it was like very, uh, very, uh, I don't know, full circle kind of thing. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I interned there for a few years and it was great fun. It was literally the two of them and me. Like I didn't have a desk at a coffee table. It was, like, <laughs> uh, which was great because I got to see and experience everything kind of firsthand. Um, and now I actually work with a nonprofit in Portland that I, I decided to be on their board because it felt so close to my, to, to my heart and their similarities with road recovery. I was like, Oh, it's kind of like coming back home. Nice. Nice. That's great. So, okay. So you have this first internship. So I know it's leading and setting up to kind of the, the royalty stuff and all that, Mm -hmm. but was your first after interning your first full-time job? Was that working at live nation? No, no. My first full-time job, uh, it was because when I graduated, it was like peak Napster. Uh, it was 2000. So there was not a job to be found in music at that time. <laughs> um, yes. I, I worked for my mom for a little while. I don't know that that counts as full time, though. Uh, and then, oh, I ended up, I was managing a record store and it wasn't even like a cool record store. It was a chain record <laughs> store that was in the parking lot across the street from the mall. Like it was, that's, that's still cool though. Any type of record store in that, at that time was still kind of cool though. Yeah. Yeah. Although whenever people came in asking for certain titles, I'm like, no, 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 go to like, we don't carry that, but go down the street to this store. That's where I like, that's where you'll find it. Like go to the actual cool record store. Um, <laughs> But I did that for a little while and quickly discovered I was not cut out to work in retail. Dealing with uh, customers is not one of my strengths. And I am in awe of the people that are able to do it day in and day out. It's like, oh. <laughs> yes, I also worked. It's funny, another kind of similarity with our journeys. I worked in retail and I worked at a record store, I actually worked at National Record Mart, okay. uh, dating myself a little bit, but that was, a, I actually enjoyed that experience. That was really fun. Like people would come in and they would like, oh yeah, I'm looking for so-and-so. And I'd be like, oh, well, if you like this, you're gonna like this and this, I'd stack them up. And so nice. my strategy was, I'll stack you up. You'll definitely get something. Excellent. <laughs> and it worked, it yeah. worked. Um, that- yeah, that was that was a fun time. Yeah, I, I just I kept getting in trouble with corporate because I wouldn't play the the sanctioned in store play CDs, <laughs> and I'll never forget I was playing a Mr. Bungle record one day at record. I was playing a Mr. Bungle CD, and this woman came in the store and she was just like, oh, "What? What is this?" She's like, "My daughter has a dance performance and it's supposed to be circus themed." She's like, "This would be perfect." I was like, "Oh." Sure, I'll sell you a Mr. Bungle CD. Oh, like you'll I'll have the coolest daughter on the block <laughs> doing her dance routine to Mr. Bungle. Um, but yeah, it was that's so funny. Yeah. So you were selling a Mr. Bungle CD mm-hmm. in the record store that didn't have Mr. Bungle. Yeah, I had to actually <laughs> send her down the street to get it because we we did not actually carry it in stock. But oh wow. Yeah. So you were, you were always, but that means you were always taste making in some way, shape or form. Like <laughs> For a nine year old dance recital, I guess. <laughs> yes. Always like, no, no, no. Here's the music that you really want. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you have the kind of the internship experience. Uh, 
um, road recovery, you're working at the record store, yeah. then, then I'm interested, how do we get then to Live Nation in that role? Yeah, so after the record store, I did a quick stint uh, for a title insurance company, um, you know, typing up easements for shopping centers and things like that. Did not speak to my heart, so I left that and took a part-time job with Live Nation, which honestly, it was so much fun. Like working in live music is like the ultimate. I always joke that once my kids are older, I'm going to you know, hit the road as a tour accountant or something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I did that for a little while, but it was, it was only part-time and it just was not sustainable. So I made the, I gave myself to, like, you know, by the end of a certain time period, I was like, I either need to find a job in New York or I need to go back to school. And, and do something different. And thankfully, I found a, a job in New York and was able to move back to the city. And that's how I, I got into accounting and royalty world. Okay, so let's, okay, so let's get into it. Yeah. Um, this kind of starts, this kind of starts the journey to CRO. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, so how did you, so how did you find that next role with that, with that accounting firm, you have all, you have this, you know, you're hustling, you've got the record store experience, you've got the Live Nation experience. Did the Live Nation experience pique their interest as well, seeing that big company on there? Was that how you got in or walk uh, us through how that happened? Yeah, so it was actually, I recognized the, the firm that I ended up going to work for, I recognized them because I was like, oh, they did all the accounting for road recovery. And oh, so excellent. I remember like, I'm like, oh yeah, I've, I've been to their office. I've dropped stuff off at their office before. And so I hit up my, my friends, Jean and Jack. And I was like, Hey, could you put in a good word for me? And they did. And like, I, they were hiring a receptionist. It was nothing glamorous, but you know, I'd worked at my mom's office answering phones and things like that, like during the summer. And so like, I went in, met with, met with him and hired me and then I quickly got really really bored answering phones so they're like oh well do you want to help prepare some audit schedules and I'm like yeah that sounds great I'm like I will do literally anything uh, so I, I started doing that and started learning bookkeeping um, and yeah I eventually just moved into a role where I was pretty much full-time royalty work either acting as a um the royalty team for a record label that didn't have one. Um, oh God, what label was that? They had like a, such a hodgepodge of, of acts. It was like Warren Zevon, uh, that band Kitty that was around for a while. Oh, wow. Um, oh Kitty. God. Oh, oh, Artemis, Artemis Records. That's what it was. Artemis Records. I used to intern at Artemis oh, Records. Oh, funny. <laughs> yeah, yes. I... yeah, yeah. I'm still friends with, uh, some folks that that um, work there with me. Nice. But yeah, I, I learned all of my Excel chops doing royalty statement creation for, for Artemis and and then uh, working on royalty audits for other clients. Wow. So so wait, so let's dig into this a little bit. So you're when you start this and they're like, oh do you want to work on work on the audits, mm -hmm. it's not like you were, were you coming from, did you have like more accounting experience that they saw and were like, oh, you've done this before? Or was it all from your mom's stuff you were doing? Like, like, or did you just kind of get thrown in? You had to learn? Uh, I, yeah, so all I learned at my mom's office was, you know, how to answer phones and make copies. So no accounting stuff with mom's office. No, okay. she, she, she's an attorney. Well, she's retired now, but uh, yeah, she had a law office. So I was, I was used to like the professional environment, I guess. Um, but all of the accounting, I, I just learned on the fly, you know, it was, it was just, you know, here, here's a thing, here's instructions on how to do it. We'll show you how to do it a couple of times, ask all the questions in the world and until you get comfortable in that. Like I was, I was, the thing I appreciated was I was given a, a level of trust that I was capable of doing it and the opportunity to, to learn and make mistakes and get better and figure it out. Um, but it was, yeah. It was it was interesting and it definitely sparked something that I had no idea uh, I would enjoy because 
I'm pretty sure I went to 11 out of the 33 accounting classes I was supposed to attend. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that financial accounting course that we had to take was a bear. It was brutal. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I took accounting in undergrad and, oh, man, I had to, between that and football practice, that took up a lot of time. And I remember I had to study like I, I, I was able to get a B first semester, A second semester, but boy, I had to put a lot of time to get that stuff. So I can only imagine. The Well, the professor that I had made the mistake of saying, the only way you can fail my class is if I catch you cheating. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. My bare minimum is what I'm going to invest. Uh, <laughs> yeah, wow. But And then now it's so funny to see you at this stage in life, fully immersed kind of in this world. So while you were doing it, did you ever have a moment where you were like, I can't believe I'm actually learning and doing this? Yeah, no, I was blown <laughs> away because like I, the accounting classes that I had to take were torture, like it, absolute worst thing I could imagine doing. But then once I was like living it and I was like, oh, I can apply this concept to an actual task and an outcome it like it all clicked and made sense and I was like oh I get it now but if I'm just trying to like read a theory in a textbook I was like this is going in one ear and out the other it is not not (laughs) sinking in but actually getting in there and like the mechanics of it and like oh okay I'm building a you know a schedule to compare this or whatever it made so much more sense once I started doing it yeah it was almost like it, it unlocks the strategic part of your your brain like 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 solving a puzzle in a yeah way. oh god i yes P- puzzle and problem solving like some of my favorite things like we i literal figurative puzzles love it oh so so does this mean like if you're ever in new york and there's like a board game competition i need to call you so we can win oh <laughs> Uh, I would say you should call my husband. He's way uh, better at that kind of stuff. But, you know, <laughs> like if you need like a word problem figured out or, you know, <laughs> financial statement recreated based off of, you know, limited information, I can help you out. <laughs> nice. Okay. Okay. So you're working as a royalty assistant. Okay. Now we get to the next part of the journey. What happens that gets you to to CD Baby, to get started talking about that? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I was living in New York, you know, was uh, always broke, which seems pretty, pretty typical for, you know, early 20s. Uh, so I just worked a lot because I couldn't afford to do anything else. Uh, but then I also got pretty burnt out. So I, I decided I'm like, I'm going to take a month off from work. And I found a cooking class that I was interested in. And it was in Portland. And so I, you know, talked to uh, my bosses and I was like, hey, I'm going to do this thing. Is it cool? And they were good with it. They're like, as long as you come back. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm totally coming back. Um, so I went to Portland the month of July, spent an entire month there learning um, from this amazing chef, you know, spent a month cooking in his kitchen with like four or five other people. Oh, wow. Um, came back to New York and was like in the baggage claim at LaGuardia. And I was like, oh, I don't think I can do this anymore. And because it was, really? yeah, like, and at first, like when I was in Portland at first, I was looking for reasons to leave because I was really put off by people like saying hi to me and, you know, trying to strike <laughs> up a conversation. I was like, oh, what do you want? Leave me alone. Um, and then people walked really slow, which I, I still struggle with. Um, but then after a couple of weeks, I was like, oh, I get it. Like people are just being friendly. Like it's fine. Um, I'm like, and I can walk around them on the sidewalk. Um, and then just getting back to New York, I was like, no, oh, this is too much. And so I, you know, I worked a few more months and then I, I quit my job and moved to Portland. Uh, and I was like, I'm never going to work in music again. And then I was on Craigslist one night and there was an, an ad for, um, like a licensing position. And I was like, CD baby, why? I'm like, I know that company name and I'm trying to like rack my, my memory and like why I know that name. And I went to the website. I'm like, Oh my God, it's the company with the horrible logo. 
<laughs> which I had seen at some like early internet and music expo uh, when I was interning. And cause I remember their booth was just completely like just filled with people. So many people like interested in it. And I was like, Oh, I wonder what they do. And then I looked at the logo and I was like, Oh, I don't care what they do. And I just kept walking because <laughs> it was like it, the, the logo. If you're not familiar, it was just like a, a silver disc with that baby face slap <laughs> yep, in the middle. I am familiar. Oh. I'm familiar with those expos and the logo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and I was like, okay, well, you know, kudos for the brand recognition. Like it's stuck in my head all those years. Um, but yeah, we're, it was still owned. The company was still owned by Derek Sivers who founded it. And so I, I went in for an interview and like had a great, great conversation. Um, you know, Apple, uh, the iTunes store was still pretty new at the time. And so he called me the night after the, the night of my interview and left me a voicemail. He's like, you got the job. He's like, but not the job you interviewed for. He's like, I'm going to make you a job. And I was like, Oh, okay, wow. cool. <laughs> um, okay. So he just brought me on to kind of build out the royalty process because at the time there was like 50, 55 people at the company and he was still like super hands-on like he did all the development work um you know every every uh piece of code was almost exclusively written by him for the entire you know the front end the back end everything um and he was also the one handling importing all of like the the royalty reports from you know the early dsps like itunes music places like that um but it was, it definitely lacked uh, a structure or any sort of process. Right. And so, you know, I started doing things like, okay, we're not going to pay out this iTunes report until we've confirmed we actually have the money from iTunes kind of thing. And then right. make sure that, you know, the, the foreign exchange rates are calculated correctly. And, you know, all, all the things that seemed pretty, like, second nature to me. Um, like I got to create the whole process, which was really nice. I spent a lot of time, you know, reading through all of our agreements and making sure that, you know, we were getting paid. If they said you're going to pay this much for this download, you know, that's how much we got paid. So, you know, I got to use a lot of my skills that I'd, I'd, I'd learned working in New York. Um, and then, you know, Derek was getting ready to, to sell the company and his uh, accountant, because he had an outsourced accounting firm, was like, you really need to have someone in-house doing accounting. And they gave him a job description for a controller. And they're like, hey, Christine, like, you know spreadsheets. <laughs> like, do, do you want to give this a shot? And I was like, reading through it. And I was like, I don't know what a lot of these words even mean. Um, and I'm like Googling it to look it up. And I'm like, like I was pretty upfront about it. I'm like, I don't feel qualified, but I'm like, I'm totally willing to give it a shot and more than happy to learn as I go. And it was definitely trial by fire, um, learning how to right. do accounting for a company, the the size of CD baby and, you know, keeping track of, you know, I mean, I don't know how many artists there were at the time, but many hundreds of thousands of artists and all this it was like, Oh my God, it was a lot. But got through it, and eventually, you know, the accounting team grew from me to two people to three, and just kind of spiraled in terms of, you know, the the expertise and level of skill. Like now, I think we have two CPAs in house, and wow. a third person who is, you know, eligible to sit for the CPA. We've got tax specialists. We've got achievement specialists. You know, it's. It's pretty amazing to see like, oh, crap, like that started from just me. And now there's so many people that are so much smarter wow. than me. And I'm like, I'm so grateful you're here. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, so, so Christine, let's let's back up a little bit. So when you start at CD Baby, are you start are you going from royalty assistant position to director of digital rights and finance? So they just you were the director title because they were like, well, we need someone that's kind of doing this and it's kind of high level. So it's going to be you. Is, is, is that how that got started? Um, y- yeah. Well, <laughs> I will never forget. I, I got my first <laughs> business card and I 
and gave it to like six people because I'm like, who am I going to give my business card to? But I gave one to my father-in-law and he looked at it and he was like, oh yeah, you work for a really small company. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, your title is really inflated. I was like, oh, <laughs> thanks. said that? Yeah. He, he has no uh, social aptitude in terms of that sort of stuff. So it was just like, oh. Uh, has he always worked at like bigger companies? Has he always worked at bigger companies? Yeah. Yeah. Like he definitely came from a larger like manufacturing uh, yeah, background. So, but, yeah. So, so just, I get it. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, yeah, it, it sounded real fancy, but it was like, you know, there was a handful of us working in like the digital world at the time. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that comment definitely was like, okay, that knocked me down a few pegs, but whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I just that, jumped right from, you know, royalty work in New York to royalty work with a fancy and inflated title according to my father-in-law <laughs> no i i you know what though we understand it right like people different industries have different things attached to them and For when sure. you work yeah and you know when people are working at the at the more traditional companies yeah they're like oh yeah that means this whereas <laughs> in, in our industry it, it it may denote something else so yeah, yeah i get that that's kind of funny. <laughs> okay, so so then two years into this, you're talking about they were like, hey, we need a controller. Yeah. You know these spreadsheets. Time for you to step up and do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you're like, okay, I'm going to learn it. So, so along the way, on the controller piece, you know, obviously another key component um, to the workings of a business are you then learning what to look for as you begin to hire your accounting staff? And so as your skill level grows, you're like, okay, so now I know we need X, Y, Z to come in um, and, and do this part as I manage the process. Like, like how did that work while you were doing the controller role? Uh, I, I wish it was as, as thoughtful as that. Um, <laughs> it was more like, oh crap, I'm drowning in you know, tasks that I just need to complete you know, like CD Baby pays artists every single week. And back when I was in that role, almost all the payments were by check. And, you know, I love our artists, but they are not always on top of their game in terms of updating their mailing address. Um, So it was just like things like the, the mountains, literal mountains of returned checks that kicked back to us because, you know, someone's forwarding order expired. Um, so I just oh, needed wow. someone to help just chug through all of this, just work that was there. And, um, I remember I was interviewing people for the role and there was someone that had applied from outside the company and they had bookkeeping experience, like totally qualified and had, had done some work that would have been helpful to have those skills. But I just remember asking them a question like, all right, what's your favorite animal? And they were like, oh, you know, I really like dogs. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, I guess. And like, it just felt like, eh. And then someone had applied from, I think he was working in our warehouse and receiving. And like, he had a degree in like English literature, like clearly a smart dude. He applied, he didn't have any accounting experience, but I'm like, you're clearly intelligent. And I'm like, what, what's your favorite animal? And he was like, Mm. It's like sun bears. I'm like, what the hell is a sun bear? First of all, <laughs> um, but second, like, that's a great answer. I'm like, you, I was not expecting that. Like, and just like, I was like, okay, this is someone who clearly like there's more to their personality. Um, and so I, I hired him because I'm like, I see potential in you. Like clearly smart. You can learn whatever it is you need to learn. Um, and that was, oh God, over a decade ago. Um, and he actually, uh, I mentioned him, I, I alluded to him earlier. Uh, he ended up going back to school for accounting and now he's ready to sit for the CPA. Like he still works on the accounting team. Uh, oh, wow. So he also had like, this like great growth story within the company. Um, but yeah, that was, that was my first hire. I will say follow on hires were a little bit more intentional. Like, okay, I need someone with this skill. I need someone with that skill. Um, 
but it was, you know, I'm always going to hire someone that I'm like, oh, you have something, even if you're not, don't have the skill that I need. Like if I think mm -hmm. you can learn the skill, I'm like, I, right. I think that's more important. You think that's more important? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I can see that. So, okay. Basic question for those that may not know, what actually is a controller? Uh, great question. Uh, a lot of people hear it as comptroller like that. That seems like a slightly more common use, uh, depending on, on where you are. Uh, basically someone that is responsible for like making sure that there are controls in place in all of the accounting, uh, counting software, counting procedures, counting policies, you know, so that people can't commit fraud, mm -hmm. uh, essentially. And then there's, you know, just like some day-to-day -day accounting work, you know, making sure that journal entries are recorded, you know, accounts payable things are booked appropriately and according to policies. Um, it's a pretty, I want to say it's a generalist accounting role, but yeah, making sure the controls are in place. That's the, <laughs> that's the crux of it. Making sure the controls are in place. Okay. Yeah. So no, thank you for that. Okay. So you operate in the controller role for about eight years. Mm -hmm. So you're by this time at, at the end of that you're in, I mean, you are basically the nuts and bolts of the operation. You've grown the accounting team. You're across all of the, the ins and outs of payments and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. How does, how do you then become kind of director of finance? Is this where the acquisition piece comes in? So, so the transition of title comes because you were director of digital rights, then yeah. the controller. And now it's, do they come and say, okay, now we need you to focus more on, on acquisitions and finance. Like, like, how does that work? Yeah, I'm actually, I don't remember when that happened. I, I have to look at my LinkedIn profile because all I know is that it was not today. Uh, <laughs> it was some point <laughs> yeah, so, before today. Yeah, so that so was, that oh, 2016. Around January. Mm -hmm. 2016. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think it was just me finally beating on the table uh, saying like, yeah, there's lots of people that are, you know, similar roles in terms of, you know, responsibility, um, purview, things like that. And they all were getting director titles and, and comp. And I was like, I really feel like I'm doing so much more than just being a controller. Um, so right. that was just something that I, I had to fight for, for a while, which is, you just, yeah. Yeah. You had to fight for that. Were you, so you, were you already, Talk about the kind of mergers and acquisitions or acquisitions and when, where that comes into play as a controller, were you already doing that function or did that, did you take on more of kind of that specific thing whenever you officially became director of finance? Yeah. So we went through our first um, uh, strategic event in I want to say it was August of 2008. That's when Derek sold us to Disc Makers. Um, and everyone was joking, are you going to change the name to Baby Makers? Thankfully, no. <laughs> it's like, our name's already pretty pretty uh, ridiculous as it is. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that was the first one. And then, you know, we're owned by private equity. And so there's, I know... Uh, a couple, you know, changes in that ownership structure throughout that time. Um, and then it was really when we acquired, um, it's now part of Fuga, but it was a company at the time, it was AdRev and Dashgo. And so that was where I had my most uh, hands-on experience, you know, evaluating a potential m and target. Like I, you know, was involved in the, the diligence and you know, all the things that go into acquiring a company. And that I think is what finally pushed me into that, that director role. I was able to be like, Hey, I'm, I'm doing um, these other things that are not traditionally part of a controller role. So. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. So then as you, so then as you continue to work at the company and, and move in the company, can you talk about how you get deeper into the finance and administration piece 
around 2018 that leads us all the way up to what you're currently doing in your current role as the CRO of the company? Yeah. Um, so 2018 is when we went on the market again. And, you know, I, at that point, had been with the company for over 10 years. And so it's like I knew so much about how everything functioned in from a financial perspective. Um, and so I ended up being involved in, you know, all of the management presentations that we did, um, which I have never eaten so much steak in my life as the, you know, the couple oh, of weeks man. we spent I mean, doing that. I, like, I was like, I could get used I mean, I'm to very, this I'm very, As a steak man, I'm very jealous. <laughs> I was like, that's the real reason why I'm studying m and is so I can get invited to more, more uh, you know, fancy more, steak dinners. More steak houses. Were, um, were you eating steak at, at Screen Door? Was that around, by, was that around then? Uh, you know, I've never eaten a steak at the Screen Door. <laughs> I had to smoke wings when I went to Portland and okay. I was so Screen Door had such good food. Oh, that food was amazing. Shout out to Screen Door. <laughs> I've had brunch there, but I've never I don't think I've ever been there for dinner. Yeah, um, if you do go get smoked wings. I will keep that in mind. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was so okay, so in 2018 we were on the market. Uh 2019 is when we're acquired by our current ownership, which is downtown music. And so a lot of like the administrative, like corporate admin type work that had all been handled previously by, by disc makers. Like they had someone in their office in New Jersey and she handled all of it and made it look super easy. So I was like, Oh shit. Okay. Well, I guess I need to start doing that now because there's no one else to, to do it. So I, that was how I kind of amassed those responsibilities. Um, and then, you know, dealing with, you know, corporate credit compliance and all that, that was all new territory uncharted for me. Um, so, you know, learning those ropes as we're going through that transition of, you know, having, uh, having that on my plate. Whereas before I'm like, I don't even need to think about this because someone else handles it. Um, and then that, yeah, I guess I did that through, I remember the pandemic started March of 2020. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember we just remodeled our house and I finally had a, a dedicated office, but it was like maybe five by six feet. Like it was like the size of a New York city kitchen. Um, it was like, literally you could open the door and if my chair was in the wrong place, you hit the, the chair with the door. Um, hit the chair with the door. yeah. <laughs> so it was like my desk, my chair, and, and that was it. And I remember I didn't leave the house for weeks cause everything was shut down and my, my kids were home. My husband was home and I was like, I think I have seen them less in the last two, three weeks than I had before the world shut down. Um, like I was just so, so, so busy. Um, and admittedly quality of life, not great. Uh, so then I made the decision like, you know what? I think, I think I've had my fill of, of finance and administration. Um, <laughs> and yes. it was, it was a big, big shift for me. Cause it went from being like, you know, a laundry list of things that I just had to do on a certain schedule and, you know, deliverables like, okay, I have to have the financials wrapped by this date and reporting down here. And like, it, it just got to me. And then I was like, Nope, time for a change. Uh, but thankfully, you know, CD baby, that that's, I've been given so many opportunities to, to take on new things and, you know, right. try different stuff that when I was like, I need a different thing to do, I was supported in that. And so I made the transition, I guess, towards the end of 2020. And that's when I, you know, shed my accounting, accounting roles and took on our product, biz dev, marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kept my trust and safety team just because fraud is like a, a passion of mine. Um, so I still have right. that, still have that, still wear that hat. Um, and then <laughs> I actually just, uh, I don't know if you heard about it, but in June announced, uh, the music fights fraud initiative. And that mm-hmm. has been like my brainchild for 
almost a decade at this point and that, that seeing it actually like be out in the wild and you know we're getting ready to have our first working group and executive committee meetings it's like oh it's actually real yeah it's actually real okay wait so let's back up a little bit before we get into kind of the the cro role so did when it came to the compliance piece was this similar to kind of the early on you basically teaching yourself and learning about the tax and the accounting stuff as well mm -hmm. like you because because those rules on, on compliance at least as a layperson they get very robust so you basically had to say okay gotta learn this i'm gonna take this on and just you know systematically pick up all of the things i need to learn about the compliance stuff yeah. is that what you did there yeah, that's what I did. And honestly, that's, that's what broke me. I was like, I am. Like, <laughs> that was the, that was the straw that broke the camel's yeah, back. I was just like, I don't, the tipping need, point. I don't need this in my life. I'm like, there, are, there is someone out there. I know it that is better situated to handle this. And whew, I was like that I'm going to tap out. Cause like, I, whew, no, had enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you decide to tap out, mm -hmm. you go to your team, um, you go to your bosses and you say, all right, I've done this for a while, I'm tapping out. How then does it come about that they say, okay, we have this role for you? Do you create this role? Do they come and say, look, we've needed this, you're the perfect person, let's go. Like, how does it happen that you then become CRO of the company? Yeah. Um, so my boss at the time, Tracy Maddox, uh, he, I, I was super upfront with him. I'm like, I like, I need to do something different. Like my preference would be to do something different at the company, but if that's not possible, then I will do something different elsewhere. Um, and he was supportive mm -hmm. of, of retaining me and figuring out something different for me to do. And so it was a collaborative effort of coming up like, okay, wh where is their room? Like, what could we kind of focus on? And I was like, product and marketing, like, those are two teams that historically have been very siloed, but they should be very complementary to one another. Mm -hmm. And also, same for our, our biz dev and partnerships team. Like, they were always like their own thing and you know i feel like every company always struggles with you know teams being in silos and communication breakdowns and i was like i see this as an opportunity to put them all literally on the same team and and kind of get them rowing in the same direction because it's like if those three teams are in sync and working together like we'll be able to to make some pretty pretty meaningful full progress and so they're supportive yeah. of it, which, you know, appreciative of that. And so that's where I am now. Let me, let me ask you this because and I, you may not remember, but remember when we met at the round table mm -hmm. and, I, and I want some clarity for the listeners. When, when we talked and you said CRO, I remember I mentioned, oh, so, oh, so you, you head up all revenue and sales initiatives. Because when people hear kind of like going back to the title and, you know, your family saying it and, and, and them working in a more traditional sense, when people hear CRO, they do think, you know, revenue, but they think revenue as in, you know, more of the sales, business development, overseeing how go to market makes yeah. money. But here it seems the CRO role operates a little bit differently. Can you clarify that for the folks listening? Yeah. And, you know, I, I struggled with, with the title for a while. Uh, there was definitely a few iterations before finally, you know, landing at the CRO role. Um, but in my research, I was like, okay, it sounds like everyone defines that title a little bit differently. A little bit differently, yeah. Um, but, you know, to your point, it's like, you know, we don't have a traditional sales team, but our, our product team, you know, they are responsible for the, delivering the product that our end users you know, that's how they transact with us. So there is the element of like the go-to-market strategy of like, okay, how can we acquire users and how can we improve our product to increase sales? So basically everything that my teams touch have a direct, you know, direct line to, to revenue. So, you know, with, with marketing, you know, you're not going to have customers if you're not telling telling the world that you exist. Uh, so that that brings in in revenue or you know our platform 
which our product team is responsible for is, you know, that's all of our front end revenue, which leads to royalty revenue. And then our, our biz dev and partnerships teams, you know, they're responsible for running our, you know, relationships with, with DSPs and, you know, all that, all those revenue streams. So it might not be the, the typical CRO, like, you know, I'm not leading a, a sales team to make sure that we're hitting certain quotas or anything like that, but mm-hmm. it is all tied to revenue. All tied to revenue. And in the business development and marketing, and, and I'm sorry, not marketing, business development and partnerships role, mm-hmm. is are those roles strictly focused on um, the DSPs and growing that business, or do they extend out to other areas as well? Uh, yeah, so it's a couple of different buckets. It, it's the DSPs for sure, but then also, you know, our third-party partnerships. You know, we've got uh, agreements in place with companies like Groover, Lalo, uh, CoSigned. And so it's developing those relationships of, you know, maybe a product that someone else owns and operates, but would benefit our users. So it's maintaining those relationships, making those connections and, you know, figuring out if we're going to, you know, integrate with a, a third party to, to sell their tools on our platform. Right. And now in this role, you get to take, not only get across all of the business units, but you get to take all of that wisdom and knowledge that you've gained and then apply it to how those business units need to function as one cohesive unit. Mm-hmm. Is that a good way to kind of, kind of sum that up? Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I view, uh, my role a little bit like a like a conductor you know I I see the parts that everyone's playing and I kind of have to synthesize that and get them all you know playing at the same time so so it sounds good you are full circle back to (laughs) telling the the woman like no 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 you don't want this you need to go do this (laughs) from the record store Mm -hmm. that's where we're at (laughs) it was always there it just needed it just needed the proper avenue. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, all right, so no, this has been this has been great just to to hear this. And again, I wanted our listeners to hear that, you know, you're going on what, year eighteen now at C D Baby? Yeah, yeah. The it's longest amazing. I have been anywhere in my life. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's amazing because the industry obviously has a lot of volatility. So for you to be able to stick and grow at CD Baby, they are very fortunate to have someone like you there. And yeah, that's a, it's a great story. I'm glad we got to hear you tell it. Um, I have two more questions and then we will be done. What are you curious about right now? Um, The future of pro rata revenue shares. Um, I feel like that is on the cusp of there's going to be a big shift there. You know, it's like streaming is kind of, I feel like what saved the industry at one point. And now it's like, oh, there's got to be a better way to compensate people. Um, So that I'm real curious about. Uh, And AI, like I am, I am fascinated. I'm like, some people are like, oh, God, it's the worst. And other people are like, oh, it's going to be everything. I'm like, there's going to be a balance in there for sure. Um, I'm just I'm ex- excited and curious about the ways people use it that I know are going to come out of left field. And I'm going to be like, did not see that coming. Mind totally blown. Um, so just excited to see to see where that takes the industry. I, I feel like the music industry tends to be a little bit um, uh, reactive or overreactive to things. Like there's definitely some Kermit on yes. vibes that <laughs> I get. Um, I'm like, okay, once once the the newness of it kind of wears off, like that's when we're actually going to see the real practical applications of it. And I'm so so curious. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, oh, I would be remiss, and I should have asked this earlier. Tell us a little bit about the Music Fraud Initiative. Oh yeah, uh, in your role, what is that, and and why are you passionate about that? Yeah. Um, so, CD Baby used to have our you know our e-commerce store, and we sold CDs, we sold MP3s, and 
early on, I discovered um, MP3s, like a 99 cent digital good, were the perfect target for uh, people with bad intentions to test credit card numbers to see if they were valid. So someone would come and they'd get like a long list of, of stolen card numbers and try it out on buying a d- digital mp3 to be like i don't need to ship it anywhere you know it's a low-cost item it's not going to raise any alarm bells on this person's credit card account um so it was my first taste of fraud and i was like oh okay how do we solve this got that all solved and figured out and then um, uh the shift to streaming fraud we started seeing stuff happening and i was like we can't be the only ones seeing this. And so we talked to some of our partners to be like, Hey, could we share information? And they're like, yeah, let's like, that's a great idea. Let's totally share information. And then, you know, two weeks later, they're like, ah, our attorney said we can't share information. And so Mm. I was like, Oh, okay, fine. Um, And so that idea just kind of sat in the back of my mind and my, my head of trust and safety, like he, he and I would talk about it like on and off for years And finally, it's like I started seeing more companies being like, oh, wait, fraud is a thing that we need to be thinking about and dealing with. And I kind of with my with my uh, biz dev and partnerships team, like kind of formalized all of my thoughts into a document, shared it with some people. They're like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And weren't really getting a ton of traction. Uh, But then Andrea Gleason, the CEO of TuneCore, she got a hold of it and she was like, I'm going to make this happen with you. And she has been such an advocate. Um, It's been so amazing. You know, it's like the two competitors working together for a common good. And uh, so we announced music fights fraud at Indie week this past June. Uh, And it's, it's an initiative to have all parts of the, the digital music industry, you know, whether it's a distributor or a DSP, come together in a way to collaborate and share information in a way that, you know, is not, doesn't violate any privacy concerns, you know, all the information is being fed to a neutral third party. Um, and then they'll kind of mm. aggregate that information, anonymize it, and then share it back to the participating members. And then the participating mm. members can take that and, you know, apply their own internal risk policies to it be like, okay, we're not going to work with this, with this content, or maybe we'll take a closer look at this content. Um, because no one, no one person, no one organization is going to solve the music industry's streaming problem. Uh, that's just not going to happen. Like it, it's only going to be through collaboration and, and sharing information and, you know, talking to one another, which I feel like the music industry doesn't have the best reputation for collaboration. It's very like, just lost my earbud. Uh, very uh, protective and maybe a little bit isolationist. Uh, so hopefully this might start tipping away at that. I know people that I've been talking to are really, really excited. And so hopefully we can put a big, big dent in the current problem that we're experiencing. And then once that kind of becomes a non-issue, I'm sure there will be some other issue that crops up, but then we'll have the framework in place to talk to one another and share, you know, an early indicator of like, hey, getting some some signals over here that this might be the new latest and greatest mm. fraud trend. And then we'll already have, you know, a way to communicate that. We're not going to have to wait a decade for it to, you know, be on fire and everyone's paying attention. So super super excited about that and to see wow that's it might benefit everyone yeah that's that's really interesting work really really interesting to see how that plays out in the in the future no that's great thank you for for sharing that um okay my last question if you could go back and talk to yourself on the first day that you started the program what would you say to yourself I would say wallet chains and subway seats do not mix. I very nearly was late for class one day because I was sitting at the end and you know, the subway seats have like the metal uh, like railing on the side. My wallet chain at the time got stuck between the seat and the metal thing and I couldn't get off. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to miss my stop and be late for class because my wallet chain is stuck. Uh, So that'd be one thing. And then the other thing, (laughs) 
which would probably be more useful longer term is just speak up ask questions like I was very uh very reserved very shy I was actually working in retail that like made me realize like oh I actually have to talk to people um but I would if I had a question I would usually just keep it to myself because I'd be like oh no one wants to hear from me no one wants to hear this but like, I wish I had the confidence at that, at that point to just be like, you know what, something's not clear. Let me ask, let me get more information. Though that's, uh, mm. <laughs> man, this has got me thinking about many different things. Um, <laughs> that's great. That's great advice to yourself. Like speak up, use your voice, gain mm-hmm. your voice. Um, whether you are introverted or extroverted, being able to do that is super important. So no, I think that's a, that's a great way to leave it. Um, Christine, I'm so happy you, you came on the show and thank you for sharing your story. I think it's an important story and people need to hear it. So thank you for coming on. I appreciate you taking the time. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm glad we got a chance to talk there and we're talking now and hopefully we will talk in the future. So (laughs) yeah, that's great. Um, Thank you everyone for tuning in to this episode. That was Christine Barnum, CRO of CD Baby. Um, It was great having her on and it was great having you tune in. Uh, Stay tuned for more episodes coming soon. You can follow me on Twitter at BryceB88. In the meantime, take care and be well, and we will see you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of People from the Program. Be sure to check us out anywhere you listen to your podcasts and stay tuned for future episodes of the show. 